everybody. Welcome back. I can't wait to get started today. We're having what I know will be an incredibly energetic discussion with my friend and CEO of Just Capital, Martin Whitaker. Let's get to it. Welcome to the remix. Thanks for joining. Uh, we, I really appreciate it. It's good to see you again. It's been a bit since we've talked. So why don't we give uh, the folks listening a little bit of background about Just Capital. Now, we were talking a little bit off the, off the air about uh, your recent birthday and thinking about whether you and <laughs> or I are, are making a difference in the world. And, you know, I'm, I'm a couple of years older than you, although I, don't, I try not to tell people that, but... Um, uh, give us a, give us, tell us what's been happening in the world of just capital these days. Sure. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the chance to, to be here and talk about this stuff. It's, it's important and it's funny, you know, I just think it's becoming so much more important with almost every passing day. It seems the world certainly over the last 12 months, um, has woken up to the fact that. Uh, you know, how we do business, how markets work really affect people and can affect them in a bad way and can affect them in a very good way. And, you know, trying to make the world a more just place, build a more just economy, which is really what Just Capital is all about, um, are just, I, I think, you know, uh, incredibly important. So to answer your question, Just Capital is, an, is a 501c3 nonprofit, seven years old, uh, I'm the CEO um, and really have been building this from the very beginning. As you know, our, our founding vision, uh, which, which came together uh, with Paul Tudor Jones, Deepak Chopra, uh, Ariana Huffington, Ray Chambers, uh, and others, Ronaldo Brutico, um, Paul Sciala, the, the whole idea was to try and leverage the private sector to do more of the heavy lifting on our most intractable systemic social, economic, and environmental challenges. Because unless and until you get the private sector pulling in that direction, you're really fighting an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, government and philanthropy alone just is not going to cut it. So you need, you need the private sector and in just capital's case, we're focused on the biggest corporations in the country. And essentially what we do is we, we, we track them and we rank them. Uh, and then we, we, we sort of incentivize them to be better on the priorities of the American people. So it's sort of like, you know, belief in the power of data. You know, we've surveyed now over a hundred thousand, well over a hundred thousand, probably 130,000 Americans over the last few years. What issues matter? Everything from paying a living wage, treating people with respect, you know, diversity in the workplace, investing in communities, good jobs, climate, all of that stuff. And we gather the best data that we can, and we're, we're just tracking and ranking companies on how they're doing. And then we put that out there so that people can invest in, work for, support, uh, you know, the companies that, that do the best job on the things they care about. So that... That's what just capital is, and as you say, seven years in, you know, I I think we've we've made a mark. I think these things have become way more important, and 
you know, I can't wait to see where we take it in the next few years. Yeah, um, there's there's so much been going on. I think you're right, Martin. Just in the last, you know, the last 12 to 16 months, this has really exploded, right, because of COVID and the way that, you know, how it's impacted some folks and not impacted others. It's sort of, you know, sh- it's really sort of shined the light on on how, um, you know, business impacts society in ways that we hadn't thought about before, even with the, you know, with George Floyd and, you know, racial and social oh, totally. justice, right? It's like a perfect storm. It's like a perfect storm. You had, you had COVID, you had like the, the human implications of that, which then you realize were, were hitting, you know, black and brown communities even harder. The recovery left so many people out. Then you had George Floyd, then you had like the, 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 the sort of, you know, realization that companies just business as usual, just not going to cut it. And so all of that came together in a 12 month period where don't forget, we we're all sitting at home, right. <laughs> like no one's in the office, right? We're all, we're all together experiencing something, but apart. And, and I think it was really, uh, I just think it sort of shifted people's worldviews, their mindsets. And, and probably most of all, it made you realize uh, what we can do when we actually put our minds to it, how much we can achieve in terms of positive change in the business community when you really have a focus and a determination to make it work. And that's one of the things I think is, has a good thing that's really come out of, this, of the last you know, 12 to 14 months. So there's so much there I want to unpack. But first, I'm gonna, how did you personally get to this. So one, how did you get involved in Just Capital? How did they find you or you find them? And, you know, how did how did you um, individually come to the come to the conclusion on your own that this is something that you wanted to do? I think I remember, I don't know if it was when you first got the job, but we we were on a phone, you were standing on a train platform somewhere (laughs) in the very early days. Um, uh, um, But I want to, so unpack that a little bit for me. Sure, sure. So I, my whole career has been sort of geared around this idea of investing and, and, and business focused on solving societal problems. I've always believed in that. You know, I, I have a science background. I have a PhD in environmental science, environmental risk assessment. I went into business because I felt like it was the place where I could really make a mark. And, and uh, you know, the, the lever of capitalism was very, very powerful in affecting positive societal change. So that's been a thread throughout my entire career. My, my, uh, my career as an analyst, I moved into the family office world, investing money. Uh, advising families on how to invest money and then working to build ESG funds. And so I've really spent 25 years bringing capital and business practice and investment practice to, to affect positive change and to make money as well, obviously. So I've, I've always believed those two things are completely uh, mutually reinforcing. Um, so, you know, I was a partner at a company called Sonen Capital. We were advise, advising families on how to do how to do that and i got a call um so i'm on the board of something called the carbon disclosure project which is a big mm-hmm. big big nonprofit. and one of my fellow board members had suggested my name to a group that was doing a search for paul jones to find the sort of founding ceo of just capital and what really intrigued me was 
uh, A, you know, the caliber of people involved. So the names I've just mentioned, you know, Paul, just an incredible person. And I felt like, okay, this is serious, right? These folks want to do something big, serious. They have the means to do it, the commitment. And when I met with them, clearly they, they felt like they wanted to use markets to drive positive change. And I felt like I knew how to do that. Honestly, I, I felt like I've been spending 20 years building up to that. I knew the data side of it uh, as an analyst. I knew the power of data in driving change. I was at Swiss Re, uh, Swiss Re mm -hmm. Environmental Markets, where we use yeah. data to price risk and liability. And, and, and uh, so I really knew the intrinsic power of that. I, I understood the, the power of markets. I knew the ESG space backwards. And I also knew the sort of the, f the failures of the space in many ways. Um, where I felt like, you know, it could really be accelerated. So I saw Just as a, as a perfect platform to, um, to really affect change at scale. That's, that's, that's really what I, what, what, what I, what I saw. And I, I had, as funny, I, I sort of, I think over the course of a weekend, I, while I was still contemplating the job, I put together like a 30-page PowerPoint which I sent to Paul and <laughs> some of the other board members and said, like, if you're going to do this, this is my vision. And I, I obviously I got the job and now I realized, you know, on, on their side of the story was like, uh, okay, when they, when they saw this and like, okay, I think this is our guy. Uh, I think, I think he wants to do it and he has a vision. So, so that, that's how it came together. And, um, you know, I, I look back things, you know, the, the, the basic strategy hasn't changed. Um, what's changed is, or well, we learned a lot, which we can talk about in a few moments, but I think the backdrop to what we're doing has become, you know, to our opening comments, it's just so immediate, so urgent. That's what's changed. And the recognition that data is crucial, the meaning of data, that connecting this to Main Street America, so ordinary people feel like this market is working for them, like all of that is is for real now, and so yeah. I'm more excited now than I was seven years ago when we got started. Yeah, you know that's 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 an interesting point, uh, Martin, because I, I was I was thinking about you remember when we all did that um, that session um, with um, Obama's uh, um, uh, Secretary of Labor. Um, oh, Tom um, Perez. With Tom Perez, yeah, yeah, we all did that with that session, and you and I and Raj and Ed Freeman and yeah. Kip and all those guys. I was I was really excited about that, about where I thought we could go. Where? How do you think? How do you think things have progressed since then? And I want to get into one thing. I want to ask you about because I think you're a perfect person to think about this with. The it's we're, I'm seeing a little bit now, and I think this is pr probably a good thing for where we are, but I'm not really sure. This is what I'm calling the purpose backlash or the purpose pushback. Yeah. When you saw base camp, you know, you can't talk about this stuff at work anymore. Shopify, you know, we're not a family. And then even Warren Buffett saying, we don't, we shouldn't worry about any of that stuff. We should just worry about making money. And I'm getting lots of inbound people asking me, what do you think about this? A great article came out in Forbes and sort of pushback. And I've been doing the same thing, but What's your take on this, what I'm calling the, the purpose pushback that we're starting to see a little bit of right now? I'm certainly okay with people asking hard questions about what's real and what's not. 
Yeah. You know, I, I think fancy statements about purpose that don't connect to like concrete issues and real outcomes clearly are, 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 uh, you know, uh, are, are sort of not gonna, you know, stand up to scrutiny and, and deserve, uh, you know, the skepticism that, that, that people have shown, but there's something much deeper happening. Um, uh, you know, you asked me sort of progress since we were in the white house, you know, with that meeting, it's weird, honestly, like you could say the feeling in that room at that time was that this was going to be a linear progression, right? That, that this all made total sense. Yep. This is just a good way to do business, um, that everybody benefited and we just keep going and everything's going to be better. And then along, of course, come, comes Donald Trump. Yep. And you could argue that, that his success in being elected in part was due to this sense that a lot of people had of just feeling disconnected. Like the system is not working for them. You know, it was, it was a, it was a statement that said, look, I, I don't feel as though I have a stake anymore. And I think a lot of people felt that way and still feel that way. And that's what Paul Jones had been talking about in his Ted talk back in 2015. Um, you cannot have rising levels of inequality. You cannot have a growing number of people feeling like the market or the economy or the system is not working for them, uh, who feel as, as though their trust in institutions has been eroded as it has been for many, many years. You, you can't have that situation and expect it to continue forever. Right. There's going to be a backlash. And I think um, the, what, 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 this is the big macro challenge that we have to address right now, which is how do we get a sense that uh, capitalism, the American brand of capitalism, free market enterprise, can work for every American? You know, what is stopping that from happening? And really getting to grips with some of the basic, tangible, concrete things. If that, and that includes rethinking how business is done, who benefits, who benefits, what does success mean? It means rethinking the role of the public sector. How can policy incentivize better business and more just business? Um, so it, it means creating a process where just people feel as though it's working for them and the outcomes are being created that are driving this country forward for the betterment of everybody. That's what, that's what we have to, that's what we, so when I think yeah, about yeah, yeah. this backlash on woke capitalism or, yep. you know, purpose washing, you know, I understand where that's coming from, but I will tell you in our, in our polling around the country, regardless of who we talk to black or white, uh, Republican, Democrat, coastal, rural, it doesn't matter. Most people want the same thing. They want fair pay. They want business to feel as though, like they want to have a sense of upward economic mobility. Yep. They want businesses to invest in the communities where they operate. Um, it's pretty kitchen table stuff. And yep. that's what gives me heart. I cut through all the political uh, sort of pendulum swings and all the divisiveness around 
political issues and get to the heart of what really built this country. And, and you say, okay, if we can build a truly just, inclusive, equitable economy where everyone feels like I'm going to do my bit, I'm going to get a fair shake. There's nothing stopping me or holding me back. You know, those are real things. And that benefits everybody, everybody, right. period, end of story. That to me is real. And I don't think that, I don't think there's, I, I, to me, like, that is what we should be measuring. That's what yeah. we should be incentivizing. And that cuts through all the skepticism, the cynicism that you just referred to. Like, that's about good business. So I hope that that is our, we create that North Star and develop some real working sort of conditions, parameters to get us there. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a great point because I was having a discussion. Um, you might know my old partner, Rick Frazier, who runs Consinity Advisors, the hedge fund that we started. And we were having a discussion about this. And I said, some of these guys that are, are pushing back, quote unquote, against woke capitalism, I read through that and I see more politics than less politics. Yeah. Because I think that, you know, if you really break this down, this is about values, not politics, right? And that's what we've been trying to tell people. And, and I, I think that what's so important, something you just said, Martin, is about how you're getting similar answers across the board. And I've been saying this for a while. You know, millennial, you know, coastal, um, you know, voters who are disenfranchised or disenchanted with the job markets are saying the same thing as rural Trump voters. Totally, totally. Not, this thing just doesn't work for us, right? Yep. It, I'm not, I, you know, and, and it's this idea that none of those people hate rich people. They all want to be rich. They just want the opportunity to be rich, right? It's like, uh, you know, John Hope Ryan talks about that, you know, we want, we, we want the, the, you know, a vision. Uh, we want to understand. We want to feel like we have an opportunity to go to the next level. And as yeah. long as we feel that way, we'll get up in the morning, we'll work hard, we'll do all the right things. But if we feel like it's not, and I think that's where we've been, right? We, we, we poll black Americans on after George Floyd and was like, yeah. what, do you, what would you want biz, big business to do? And of course we got like, no, you know, forget about just making grand statements and donating to the NAACP. Like you gotta do something real in business. Right. The number one thing that came back was pay a living wage. Well, that's been the number one thing. And that was like right. 80, 85, 86% of respondents. That's been the number one thing across all uh, demographics for, for the last seven years of polling is, is you know, companies paying people a living wage and, and paying people fairly. So I think that's, you know, and we've seen, we've seen the benefits that can accrue to a company when they begin to lift wages. Look at the Costco model. Right. Like, look at what PayPal's doing now when they lifted wages. You know, it creates it creates more engaged employees. They feel like they, they've got they can take care of their family, put food on the table. You know, that they're, they're, they're less worried so less, less health implications. So anyway, a lot of this, if we can just get down to some basics about yeah. how we do business, I feel like it's going to have such a positive impact. But, you know, we we. Um, one thing that's that that that's hard is is sort of where where business becomes political, and I think this is where a lot of the backlash is coming from. Yep. Think of Georgia, right, and the uh, you know Georgia voting yeah, yeah. reform and, and companies that spoke up on that. You know, that's that's getting complicated for them because they know it's a political issue. They understand some of them that that risks alienating people who have a different view. But staying silent doesn't seem to be an option either. 
Right. And and this is this is where we are right now. I think this is a complicated moment for 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 CEOs who are really trying to figure out, okay, where do I come down on things that are political and do we have our strategy right? If you're Ben and Jerry's, right? Like you don't care. You you know, you you you're very happy to be very active politically. Right. And if if you if you don't like that, then don't buy their ice cream, you know. Um, they're fine with that. Yeah. They're, they're totally fine with that. If, if you, but if you're trying to be, you know, uh, to, to make a statement politically and you get it wrong, there is a risk. And I think yeah. that's, that's the moment we're in. Y'all know we're working on a revolution here, right? And we can't do that without you. So before we get back to the show, show some love here. Rate, review, subscribe. That's how we're going to get this out into the world. All right, let's get back to the remix. Well, I think the difference between, you know, what that, and I agree with you 100%, and it goes back to this thing that we've been, we're advising right now, one of the largest, you know, sort of apparel companies in the world, and we're talking to them about values, not politics. And the reason why we're trying to get them clear about their purpose, right, as it relates to their business, is that because, they, are, they came to us saying, we don't know what to respond to or what not to respond to. It's getting too complicated. So should we just not do anything? Well, that's not really a solution, right? But what we're trying to help people do and try to tell people to do is let's get clear about why your business exists, right? What you're trying to achieve in the world. But it's got to be aligned with what you're trying to do with your business. And then use that as a lens through which to look at things and respond to things. Because then you could say, here's why we responded to that and not to this, Yeah. right? Yeah. Because it's what's really, it's what, what is about our values. But I think the problem is people haven't, many organizations, not all, many, haven't done the hard work to sort of come down and so say, true. here's what we value. Therefore, we can look at this through that lens and say, we're going to respond to this and not that. So true. So true. We, we, um, we partnered with PolicyLink. I don't know if you know them. Uh, PolicyLink and FSG to issue a, a CEO blueprint on racial equity. It was meant really just to give folks. Like we had a lot of data on what companies were doing, and we've actually just launched a, on our website a tracker on what companies are doing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But we coupled it with this blueprint to say, okay, if you're a CEO and you don't really know what to do, here's a framework to think about it. And it's exactly what you just said. It sort of looks at, okay, within your company, um, within, you know, your business community, and then in society at large, and some practical steps. And we're starting to track what companies are doing on all of those things. But you have to have a strategy. Like, you have to think about, it reminds me a little bit, it's not quite the same, but it reminds me a bit of, do you remember, you know, the push for human rights in the supply chains yeah. of, of, like, Which, apparel yeah. companies? And it wasn't enough just to say, okay, I'm pro-human rights. Like you had to get right into the, into the, you had to gather data. You had to know exactly what was going on with suppliers. You had to be transparent. Sometimes yeah. you didn't look good because you were being transparent about things that were, didn't make you look that <laughs> well, good. You, you give out the numbers and other people aren't giving out the numbers. And they're like, oh, well, yeah. Exactly. And, and then the old adage of like, well, well, you know, just because you're not like tracking a problem doesn't mean to say that there is a problem. Like, so right. in other words, you, yeah. you can't ignore it. And, and I, think, I think companies are now being forced to say, okay, what is our strategy, to your point? How are we going to navigate this? What's the business case? There's a very strong business case for 
as I mentioned, uh, sort of worker financial health, fair pay, yeah. fair pay for bringing, building a diverse workplace. I mean, those things are just not anyone who calls that sort of political posturing or woke. I mean, they just haven't done their work because right. every, every study is showing how the, the power of a, of a strong culture at work and a, and a diverse culture is helpful to business as you, as you broaden out your access to talent, you broaden out your markets, um, all of that. So anyway, so I think as we get more and better data, that, the, the, you know, that analysis becomes more powerful, more convincing, and then it becomes best practice. And I, what gives me hope, you mentioned this already, the business roundtable's embrace of a new, you know, um, uh, sort of statement of purpose for a corporation, that needs to go further now, right? That needs to be sort of put into practice, enacted, set of principles, or what does that mean? But, but all of that is like going in the right direction. And yeah. I think that's, we just have to keep pushing, I guess. You know, yeah. we and others like us, just uh, that's sort of, that's a, a, you know, just job is to sort of try and let the data do the talking. You know, we're not, we're kind of small A advocates. Yeah. You know. No, it's a it's it's a, it's a perfect point, Martin. We talk about people who aren't you know who look at these things and think they're you know political posturing, but it's oftentimes because they haven't done the work, right? I mean, this is one of the things that Rick and I have talked about at the hedge fund for years. Is that you know when we started the hedge fund, what we knew about you know Wall Street and and trading, investing could have rolled around the thimble for a month. So we spent a year. Just doing the work, right? Doing the research, looking at how is this sort of, you know, what what is the what is the data really telling us, right? And what we found is something you've already alluded to. We call it taking off the shareholder blinders. When you got away from this idea that the business was about shareholders versus everybody else, right? When you took off those blinders and said, okay, if I'm going to pay a living wage. And this is, the, you know, back to the Costco model, right? I'm going to pay a living wage. I better do something to make all those employees worth that dollar that I'm paying them. So I'm not only paying a living wage, I'm also going to give you more training. Yeah. I'm going to do all this other stuff. And then, you know, guys at Wall Street were like, you know, you know there was one retail uh, you know, analyst we know that he was like, you know, they run that company, Costco, like a private company. They pay people too much. They give them too much training. We're like, yeah, but it cuts down their it cuts down their turnover. You know, their their customer service is through the roof. That they weren't, you know, the, that the street wasn't looking at that in a holistic manner, right? And we said, the minute you start to look at this more holistically and think about where all of those stakeholders are in this together, you start to find what we call new paths to value. Yeah, right? I'm going to pay you a fair living wage, and what you're going to do for our shareholders is increase the size of the pie, right? And I think that's where we got to go. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think you look at the flood of capital flowing in through ESG and impact yeah. lenses now. Um, I mean, it's the fastest growing segment of the, of the global you know, financial industry. All of that money is, is chasing, you know, advantage, return, performance, right. you know, and I, I do think that, th you know, that, that, that sort of trend is going to drive a much more honest and unbiased assessment of performance as well. Um, you, what you said is really interesting in, in that you, you sort of, you have to try and like 
check your assumptions, right, about what drives value. Like this idea right. that either I'm either I'm making money for my shareholders or I'm paying a living wage. So right. zero, zero, zero sum game. Yeah. You know, I can't do both. Well, that's just a myth. Yeah. You know, and I think g- smart investors would say, okay, let me just let me just reevaluate some of my assumptions about this stuff. These, you know, right, right now, what is really driving performance? If I look, if you look at the the contribution of intangible value of the S and P five hundred <laughs> over the last few years, yeah. what's really driving value? Brand, human capital. What CEO does not say our real assets? You know, our our most valuable assets walk out of the door every evening. It's our staff. Like everybody <laughs> knows that. And yet, well, everyone we, says it. Everybody said no. Everybody no, says that. Yeah. How many? How many CEOs actually know that? How to quantify that? You know, if you're investing a dollar in your human capital, what's your return expectation on that? I think these are those are the kind of really interesting questions where this this stakeholder model takes you because you you say as a CFO, okay, you know, I got a dollar to put down. Where am I going to drive the best long-term return f- for the company? Is it by buying back my own shares? Is it by investing in my workforce for training, uh, you know, education, community colleges, that kind of stuff? Is it lifting wages? Is it investing in my suppliers, you know, supply chains, strengthening those? Yep. So that kind of uh, analysis, I think, is where we're, we're about to go. You know, a much more quantitative data-driven view on the stakeholder model so we can begin to test some of these assumptions and not come at it with like some knee-jerk response to a business course we took 20 years ago, but like the actual reality on the ground today in May 2021. Yeah. You know, it's, you know in our consulting work, we, we hear that all the time, right? First, you know, I'll tell you a, a crazy story years ago. We were consulting to this company back before we did the hedge fund when we were in the, it just all we did was consulting and we walked into this one and there was you know yeah you know, the values on the wall right they were just posted up and uh, uh you know line item number four were our employees are our number one asset and we were like does anyone else get the irony of that that it's, <laughs> it's fourth on the list <laughs> you know and if your employees are number one assets why do you treat them like crap you right. Know, that's a discussion we're having all the time. But yeah, and what's your what, what's your return on assets? And I'd what's like your return you know, on yeah, assets. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you should know that. I mean, that's one thing that we we you know that we did learn twenty years ago in business school that we should be paying more attention to. It. You know, I was going to go back and ask you. You said you know what we've learned, but I think this whole discussion has been about what we've learned yeah. over the years, right? Um, uh, so you guys are, are doing some some great work now. Um, Wrap this up. Talk about did you did I hear? I think I've I've got this right. Did you just launch or about to launch an ETF? Well, we actually have um, six or seven investment products already out out live. Absolutely, yeah. We launched just ETF with Goldman in 2018. Um, We have investment products right now with Natixis with uh, racial equity. uh, product with Natixis, we've got uh, with Smart Trust, a series of unit investment trusts. So we, we have a whole bunch of products out. Um, and the investor demand for data, especially for, for S of ESG, social yep. data, yep. Is, is, has you know, really accelerated in the last 12 months. Um, I think that uh, 
you know, we're now investing in, in our own expansion. One of the things we've, we've learned back, back to that is, you know, there's really two things that drive change and you have to have both together. One is the data and the analysis, right? So that's, that's really important. You've got to be able to tell a a quantitative story about change and you've got to be able to look at it dispassionately. Uh, But you've also got to have the narrative, you know, the, probably the biggest obstacle to change is, is the human brain and how we're wired to just do the same things. Change, it actually doesn't come easy. So it was forced on us 12 months ago, you know, mm-hmm. or 14 months ago. Yeah. Um, so that, the way we rewire our brains to think about what creates business, uh, what good business looks like, what creates a return, all the all the, the mythology uh, the mythology we've just mentioned about the zero sum game of of shareholder versus stakeholder, um, all of that just takes time. So you got to have the narrative, you got to have the stories, you got to have the right message, you have the right messengers, and that's those two things together: the data and the narrative together are very very powerful. So we are investing now heavily both in our data infrastructure. More and better data, trustworthy yeah. data, um, our IT, our platforms, the actual infrastructure of of how we how we manage data adjust, and then the narrative as well. How do we communicate around these issues? How do we talk in ways that, especially the business community and C-suite, you know, the, the CEOs, CFOs, and the boardrooms of America think about uh, this, this whole idea? And lastly. Lifting up the voice of the public, um, as you know, uh, we haven't really talked much about this, but um, our entire framework begins and ends really with yeah. the voice of the American people. They're the ones who define what a just company is, what issues matter. So that's our way of sort of, you know, connecting with people is really just to ask them, um, what do you care about? What matters? And it's it's funny when you just ask somebody what they care about, you, you create a, a, a reaction, you create a bond there. Like this, just the simple act of ask, asking somebody what matters to them uh, has sometimes a very powerful effect. So um, we're going to expand that and really, you know, going forward, really try and become a place where, uh, you know, any, anyone who has a, a, a perspective on how corporate America can be addressing social problems, you know, come. So that's, those are the areas where going forward, we feel pretty good. I think, um, the business receptivity to that model is, is now greater than ever. Investor receptivity is very, very strong. So I feel, I feel pretty good about where we're at. Although there's a lot of work to do. And I think you guys have answered this question, but to that point of, you know, we're asking people what they care about. Someone once said to me, well, you know, Jeff, they could ask the question any way they want and get the answer that they that they that they've you know pre conceived which should be the answer. Have you, have you how do you guys think about that? Uh, oh sure, I mean that that's true. Uh, how you ask the question uh, frames frames the resp- in the respondent's brain. Yeah. Uh, how how they can think about an answer It doesn't give you the answer, but it certainly frames issues. So we start with, so we're very cognizant of that, first of all. Yep. Um, we formed a very deep bench of advisors 
and public opinion research experts that help us address that. Uh, we partner with multitude of, 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 of polling and survey partners over the years. Right now, we're working most closely with the Harris Poll, but we've worked with National Opinion Research Center and others. Um, I can tell you every year when we start our focus groups, we basically start with a blank sheet of paper and just say, we're here to talk about big companies. Um, we, we introduced this word just, yep. what does that mean to you? We get, make, make sure people sort of start to think about what's fair, do the right thing. That's sort of, those are the, that's the kind of language we use. Yeah. And then we just let people talk and we've, we've now begun to, so we have groups where we, we, the groups themselves are rep, you know, fully representative by different, um, you know, as I mentioned, age, political ideology, race and ethnicity, and so on and so forth. But we've also this year grouped people together who are sort of within the same demographic because you get, you know, you, you don't want just one person talking over everybody else and some people just don't want to come forward with their views. So we've yeah, tried to right. really make that as sort of accessible as we can. So, look, it, it, it's, it's, you know, public opinion research. This isn't a poll. You know, I think... If we were just doing a nationwide poll with a question or like three questions, fair enough. I think we, we, we wouldn't, it would be tough to stand behind that the way yeah. we do. But our public opinion research covers multiple methods. It's going on all the time. And it's done, you know, with a huge amount of humility. And we're really trying to get to the truth of what people really feel and think and also what they're doing. So... You know, I think the body of that research is as good as it can be. We're constantly striving to get it better, but I actually feel pretty good about its the representativeness and also its its sort of objectivity. You know, yeah. as a as a as a roadmap. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great answer, and I, I knew this would be uh, you know one of those um, one of those sessions would be easy to do because you and I see eye to eye on so many things, but I also knew I could, you know, ask you some, you know, so, so some probing questions and get some, some good, some good backup to that. One of the things you just said about, you know, asking, you know, big companies uh, introducing this idea of just uh, and do the right thing. We have uh, in our company in the you know, conscious venture lab and in our, in a venture fund, a list of, you know, 10 things that we talk about how we work, you know, one of us is try to, you know, try to leave a wow with every interaction. But the last one, which is probably the most important to me is, you know, I call the Spike Lee rule, just do the right thing. Yeah. Right? And if you, if you, uh, if you, if you buy by that, um, good things will happen. So Martin, this has been great. I'd like to end with uh, one question uh, for everyone. Since we're going to put this out into the world. Um, what, what can we do to be helpful to you? What can the community to the audience, what can the audience do to be helpful to you? Is there something that nagging, keeping you up at night, that one thing, anything you can think of that, you know, with an opportunity to say, hey, this is what we need. How can we be helpful? Well, I, I appreciate that, Jeff. I, I think, you know, we don't see ourselves as, you know, holding all the cards or having all the answers. Like, we, we're doing this so that we can empower others with our data. So I would say if anybody goes to our website, justcapital.com, and you know, you, you can go look at our work on 
on DEI. You can go look at our work on uh, our rankings. You can go look at our investor work. There's so much there. And it's all driven off of this sort of research engine, this data engine. If anybody out there listening to this feels like they could use the data or contribute to that process, you know, reach out and let us know. Um, yep. You know, we will get back to you. We want to get our data out there as a nonprofit. It's a public good. So we want to find really powerful ways for anybody listening to this to use our data to drive change. That's at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, driving positive change, getting more companies to do the right thing. And if we can help you do that, we're all in. All right. Well, that's a great way to end this, Martin. Thank you so much for taking the time. We'll have, uh, we'll have the, the website and other information about Just Capital up on our website and all social media when this drops um, shortly. So appreciate you. Um, keep doing the great work. And uh, let's, uh, let's not make it so long between the next time we get the chance to, to chat. For sure. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you once again. And uh, I'm happy to do this anytime you ask. This is a lot of fun. Okay, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Capitalism, the Remix. Until then, keep the faith, keep grinding, keep building with purpose, be kind, and do the right thing. We out. We out.